I just wish that people would, never mind. James 5, or, okay, we're going to start with verses 1 through 6, so we'll read that section, then we'll move on to the next one after that. Come now, you rich, sorry, is everyone there, everyone good? James 5, oh, that's too bad, good? Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Good stuff, huh? So I think this was... Uh, did they talk about rich people prior? Maybe not. I feel like maybe they did, though. I feel like we've talked about this before in this, in this book. Anywho, um, so, like, make no mistake, this, this is geared towards rich people. Like, there's no reading around it. Um, this, this part is just like hammering the rich people. But why? I think last time we talked about why, why is God so tough on the rich people? And the answer then and the answer now is just greed, right? Is this unquenchable desire for more. That's what greed is. Greed just basically means that stuff becomes greater than God, right? It's, uh, it becomes an idol, something that, that uh, kind of eclipses the focus of, uh, on God, right? It takes over control of God. And it says that miseries are coming. Have you ever in your life said that you are miserable? Have you ever said that? No? I say that sometimes, like, oh, I'm so miserable. Usually it's when it's 90 degrees and wicked humid. That's usually when I say it, because I despise that kind of weather. It's awful. Dudes, it was humid today for a little bit. Did you feel that? Oh, like it was 50 and humid, which is much better than 90 and humid, but humidity is just gross. Anyways, we, we kind of use that word sometimes, miserable, miseries. But, but odds are when you said that, you weren't miserable. I wasn't really miserable when it was 90 and humid. I was okay. Um, misery is kind of like that next level uncomfortable, right, that really nasty stuff. Um, and that's what's coming to these rich people. And then it talks about uh, these greedy treasures, right? It says that riches, the riches have rotted, their garments have been eaten by moss, and their gold and silver are corroded. And the, the corrosion will be the evidence. It's going to be like the proof of their greed, right? They're taking that very thing that they're greedy of, and the corrosion kind of resembles that, that greed that, that has kind of tarnished this kind of seemingly good thing and has made it bad. And then it talks about how this dude or these people, these rich people, have ripped other people off. And so I think a lot of times maybe that happens with the rich, and that's maybe an unfair um, generalization. But I think um, some of the greed kind of makes people overlook people. Does it make sense? Like greed will kind of clog the mind and control the mind, and it kind of forces people to overlook people, which is why another reason why greed is such a problem. Um, because we as Christians are supposed to, to love people, right? 
We're supposed to um, love our neighbor. And greed causes us to be uh, really unable to complete that commandment that Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, greed gets in the way of that. Um, and this person held back wages from his workers and are now being held accountable for ripping those people off. Long story short, the problem in this passage is that these, these rich people are living for themselves, right, for their own comfort, completely overlooking other people um, and not caring about how th- the things that they do affect other people. Now, obviously, this rich person probably doesn't need that much more money, but yet he's frauding people uh, like the people who are mowing fields and their harvesters who probably desperately need that money to feed their families. Um, so they don't really care how what they do affects other people. They just care about how it affects them and that it's more money in their pocket. Now these people are going to receive what is due them. Uh, it says that their hearts are fattened to slaughter. Does, doesn't sound like a good thing, does it? Their hearts have become hard towards God and their focus is just on them and on their stuff and now they're going to be cut down. The lesson in all of this for us today, maybe not a lot of us in this room are rich right now. Um, But you don't necessarily have to have lots of stuff to be rich. Greed can take root regardless of of how much stuff you have. If your stuff, if money, if anything else is more important to you than God, then it's it's idolatry. Um, And if you just want more and more, this is about you, right? That's greed taking over in your life. And if that's not the case right now, that's great. But watch out in the future because greed is an easy trap to fall into. Cool? Let's move on. 7 through 12. Patience and suffering. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. It's kind of an interesting random ending, isn't it? Patience and suffering. Basically what this part is, is saying to us is that we need to be intentional with our lives until Jesus comes. That's kind of the long and short of it. That we need to use our lives and we need to be intentional with how we use our lives until Jesus comes. The thing that we hear here and several times through the, 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 the Bible is that Jesus is coming soon. We have no idea when it's going to take place. Uh, Jesus even said that he didn't know. Only the Father knew when that was going to happen. Um, but he does say several times that he's coming soon. Now, what, what is soon to, to Jesus or to God? I have no idea. It could be tomorrow. It could be 70 jabillion years from now. Uh, we don't know. Um, but nonetheless, he's coming to collect the saints, which would be the Christians, the people who are following him, and then to begin the final judgment. But until then, we have to wait. We have to be patient, and we have to be intentional uh, the way we live our lives. They talk about this farmer who plants, and then he waits for the fruit, for the stuff that he planted. And we have to be patient like that um, to, to be able to wait 
to see the fruit or to see the end. Um, but the thing that I, that I kind of thought of that I, I don't know, I kind of thought was kind of interesting is that the farmer just, he doesn't just wait, but he, he works and then he waits, right? He does what he needs to and then he waits for the crop to come. Um, and we have to kind of in the same way we have to wait and work. We have to work then wait. We have to plan for the harvest and plan for the return of Jesus and do the work necessary uh, to live our lives the way that Jesus has called us to, to follow him and to give him our lives. We need to do the things that we know we need to do, the things that, that, that what we're told to do in this book, and we need to work. And then we need to wait. We need to make sure everything in our life is tidy and ready for when Jesus comes, and then we wait for him. It tells us, uh, where's the verse? Eight tells us to establish our hearts. But not just to establish your hearts in, in anything, but to establish your hearts in Jesus. That's kind of what's implied. Uh, simple, complex question. Is your heart established in Jesus? Think about what that means. Is your heart established in Jesus? Established is basically just like permanent movement. To establish your heart in Jesus is basically to pull your heart out of the world, to pull your heart out of sin, um, to pull your heart out of the garbage of life and to, to root it and to stick it and firmly plant it in Jesus. Now, to understand that when that happens, even when you establish your heart in Jesus, you, you still might mess up, right? So we need to differentiate between that. But, but when you establish your heart in Jesus, you're not going to want to, right? I, I think we all know that we can't do certain things, right, that we can't, that we shouldn't sin, but when we establish a heart in Jesus, it, we don't not sin out of duty. Does that make sense? It's not out of duty anymore. It's simply out of the fact that we don't want to hurt and disobey our Savior. Right? That's kind of what the difference is. It, it changes from just the sense of duty to wanting not to sin because Jesus told us to because he saved our lives, because we love him and we want to listen to him and obey his commands. Now understand, again, you won't be perfect, but your every breath, when you establish your heart in Jesus, your every breath will be dedicated to trying to be, to trying to be perfect, to trying to be righteous, to try to earn the sacrifice that Jesus made, even though in no way can we even get close to doing that. And then it says to, to not grumble against one another. I kind of read this part and I chuckled out. Maybe you didn't. Um, because we grumble a lot, don't we? No? I feel like we grumble a lot. We, we fight with each other. We complain. We gossip. We hate on other people. We talk trash about people. We just hurt people all the time. We grumble constantly. But, but we're above that. We're supposed to be above that. Um, again, as Christians, we need to be loving our neighbors. Right? That's kind of a big deal. Jesus says to love the God with everything in you, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're not doing that, we're missing out. We're, we're, missing, on, we're missing what God is calling us to. Um, and not just loving the people who are easy to love, but to love every single person, um, people that you don't necessarily like or want to hang out with. We're called to love those people as well. And it says that if we grumble, we're going to be judged. And the judge is coming to judge us. Um, we feel like we have all this time in the world to, to clear things up and to make things right. And, and maybe we will. Maybe we'll make it to the end of our lives without Jesus coming back. That's a possibility. But we have no idea. Um, 
you could live until you're 80 and die and then whatever, or uh, you could die tomorrow, or Jesus could come back tomorrow, or he could come back when you're 79 or whatever. We have no idea how things are going to shape up. So we can't be caught in a bad place. We can't be caught with with blood on our hands. We can't be caught red-handed in a bad situation. We have to be prepared for when Jesus does come or for when our ending does come. And it talks about Job a little bit. If you know anything about the story of Job, um, that dude just uh, was amazing. You look at the the heading of this this section, Patience and Suffering, he kind of, I mean, that was him in a nutshell. Um, The guy suffered so much, his kids died, his stuff was all taken away. He was a very wealthy man, and all his stuff was taken away. He had this nasty, painful skin disease. His friends and his wife even turned against him and told him to curse God and to die. But yet, he didn't do any of that. He didn't curse God, he didn't turn his back on God, and he always kept his faith in God, and he persevered in the midst of all of the suffering. And then we see God restore him. God is merciful and he's compassionate and he will restore us as well. We just need to be patient. And then it kind of ends with this yes, BS thing. Um, uh, just kind of bringing up this idea, it, is there power in your words? Now we know that there's power in our words, but in your specific words, when people hear you, is there power in your words? Like do people hear what you say and trust it? Or are you maybe a person who has a reputation of, of flip-flopping, of maybe getting in a situation where your yes doesn't mean yes necessarily, where maybe you've lied or just maybe not trustworthy in that manner. Our words are our bond, and that we need to, we need to be able to say yes and mean yes, and when we say no, we need to mean no. There's no gimmicks, no flip-flopping, just honesty, and that's kind of what this last part of this section is calling for, is just honesty, being real, of not having to to um, swear by heaven or earth or anything else, but just letting our words um, mean what they say. All right, then 13 through 20, we're going to wrap up the book of James. This is a good section. I like this one. Uh, 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if any one among you wanders from the truth and, some, and someone brings him back, let, uh, sorry, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. All right, lots of stuff. Basically, my, my, my kind of little thought for this first section is just simply refer to God. I mean, how often do we refer to God? When we're suffering, when we're sick, when we're in pain, when we're facing tough times, how often do you go to God in those moments? Or maybe even more difficult, because I think, I think it's easy for us when we're suffering, when we're going through hard times to go to God, but 
when everything is good in your life, when everything's great, dandy, when everything's going your way, how often do you celebrate that with God? I know sometimes for me, it's, I don't always do that. But the passage says that we just simply need to let God in our life. We need to involve him on things. Um, when it comes to our problems in our good times, we need to make God a part of our life. So if you're suffering, pray. If you're happy, praise God. And if you're sick, come to the body of Christ, the church, and have the church pray for you. It says a prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. The second half of verse 16 says that the power of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Here's a question that I thought of that kind of hit me a little hard. How much are we missing out, of, missing out on in our lives because we're not letting God be a part of our lives? I mean, how many times when you were suffering or in pain or had sickness, how many times did you just not pray? I mean, we have no idea. Maybe God would have would have healed, maybe not. And just because we pray doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be taken out of the time of suffering. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be healed of sickness, but yet again, maybe, maybe that will happen. If we don't pray, we don't know. If we don't pray, there's no chance of that happening. They talk about Elijah and the power of prayer in his life. He prayed that rain would cease, and it did for three and a half years. Think about that. For three and a half years, it didn't rain at all. And then he just kind of simply prayed again, and then it rained, and then it bore fruit. I think of uh, King Hezekiah in the Old Testament. Uh, he was told by the prophet that he was going to die at a certain time, that his time was coming up, and he was going to die. And Hezekiah just simply went to God and, and prayed to God that God would basically change his mind, and he would live longer, and that's what did. In this moment, it was like Hezekiah changed God's mind through prayer and through asking God. In the New Testament, we see the disciples praying for people all the time and healing them in the name of Jesus. Man, there's power in prayer. And yet we just don't tap into it all that often. We forget that we have access to it, to God. Or maybe we just don't believe that God can or will intervene in our situation. But yet he promises us that he will. He promises us that he is there, that he's listening to our prayers, and that he can and will intervene in our lives. We just simply have to pray. We have to involve him. We have to refer to God. And then it ends with this section on wanderers. Do you know anyone that has wandered from the faith? Think right now in your mind. I got a couple. You got a couple? Think of people that have had faith, that have believed in Jesus, and then since have wandered away. I mean, maybe at one time they maybe even seemed like a good Christian. They had faith. They believed. They lived for Jesus. But now, for different reasons, they just don't. They've wandered from their faith. I mean, look at this verse and, and what it says to those who bring back the wanderers. Do you see that? It says, it saved his soul from death, and it covers a multitude of sins. It almost looks like a free pass, doesn't it? Now, we know that free passes don't exist in this. We still obviously have to follow Jesus. But bringing back a wanderer is a big deal. Why do you think that is? In my mind, I think it's because wanderers have had faith, right? That's the whole premise of a wanderer. And yet they chose to go away from it for whatever reason. 
people in that situation, I think, are more difficult to bring back because they've been there, right? They've, they've experienced it to a certain extent. They've, they've believed in God, yet they made the decision to move away from God for whatever reason. I think that's why it's such a big deal when, um, when that happens. Now, it's a big deal when anyone comes to faith. We see that in the, in the Bible, too. When anyone repents um, of their sin, um, Jesus said that all of heaven celebrates when that happens. But I think it's a little bit different of a story when a wanderer comes back. It's almost like the prodigal son that Jesus talks about. They were in, they were a part of the family, and then they left. For selfishness, for whatever reason, they left. And then they came back. You see the story of the prodigal son. The father ran to his son, greeted him, gave him all of this stuff, and threw this huge party for the son that basically took money from his dad and just wasted it and did whatever he wanted with it. But it, his father was so excited to see him come back. This gives us kind of this great picture how God feels when his children come back to him. So we kind of have this challenge to bring in the wanderers. I think a lot of times we just kind of forget about the wanderers because we're so focused on the never saved people. And that's obviously a big deal. and We don't want to lose touch with that. But we can't forget about the wanderers, those that have believed and have fell, those that have wandered from God. We are challenged to go get those people, to bring them back. And how big of a deal it is when that works out. All right, that's it. That's the end of James. Um, tonight we talked about rich people and how it sucks to be you if you're rich, basically. Uh, we talked about patience and suffering and how to endure suffering and um, and stuff like that. And then we talked about the prayer of faith, um, how we need to just refer to God and invite God into our lives, and then our challenge to bring wanderers back to the kingdom. Cool. Let's pray, then we'll wrap up. Your Father, we're so grateful for you and everything that you've given to us, Lord, just simply for the opportunity to live today. Uh, that is a big deal in and of itself. And we're so grateful for the lives you've given us, everything that is a part of our lives, the good and the bad, everything that has led us to this point, that has made us the people that we are. God, we pray that you would just continue to shape us and mold us into the, the men and women of God that you've created us to be. God, we pray that um, as we just wrap up James tonight, that we would just kind of look back and, and consider all the things that we've talked about in this, in this amazing book. Um, that you inspired, God, that we would consider it all, that we would put it in our brains, and that we would apply it to our lives in every opportunity that we have, that we'd be challenged by it, that we'd be convicted by it, Lord, that we would respond to it, Lord, that we, again, would just continue to strive after you to be followers of you and to be the people that you create us to be. God, we love you. Uh, we're so thankful for you. I pray that you would just go with us from this place today, that, that uh, you would keep us safe, that you would uh, continue to challenge us and push us in our environments, whether at school or work or with our family or wherever, and that you would just challenge us to, to be your lights, to be your hands and feet to the people around us, that we won't just go about our business selfishly, but we would live for other people, that we would live to affect other people positively um, and to show them a little bit about you and, and your love. So I pray you give us opportunities, uh, strengthen us when necessary, comfort us when necessary. Um, God, we just invite you to live our lives with us. Um, and we're just so grateful that you will, that you're a God that does care about us and intervene in our lives. Uh, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.